Jeff Harding here again with Tim Fazakerly on part two of PS Tech and the COVID-19 coronavirus. The last part, we went a little longer trying to establish some different perceptions, and we'll do that today as well. It's not that we're trying to change the world, although if the world changes their perception overall, then the world itself will change, but that takes time. So in the meantime, you want to make your own world or create an environment within your own perception so that your world can change for you. And that's a great place to start. And that's, I think, the most important aspect, because again, it's the start of what can create other change in other people. When other people see you calm, then they begin to maybe just be calm because you are, or they begin to look at how they can be more calm under these circumstances. So we're gonna go over some things today. We're gonna go over things like uncertainty, which this event has brought up, being controlled and helpless because of some of the laws and rules or edicts that have been put out, and staying calm again while others are not around us, and then also missing family and friends. So we're going to go over some of these topics and how to approach them with PS Tech and, and, and otherwise to help you not only get through this, so to speak, and, and that's an okay goal, if you will, but not just that, but be able to shift your perception for the future as well so that you do better once this blows over, so to speak, and or when something else comes up like this. So those are kind of our goals and what we want to do for you here today. Before we get started, I want to say aloha, Tim. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fine, Jeff. Thank you. And uh, it's nice to speak to you again so soon. Did you have anything you wanted to preface here before we get started on the, on the, uh, on the topics? Oh, yeah, there was one thing, Jeff. It was something that occurred to me as we sort of wrapped up last time, which was that obviously this is our opinion. That's all it can be. So we're offering our own thoughts on this. So nobody needs to take this as being absolutely gospel. One thing occurred to me, which was, you know, well, why, why should somebody take our word for it or be interested in the advice that we've got to offer? And, and what occurred to me was that it's a, it's a very, very valid question obviously we understand how to use because of suggestion but in a broader context you know what makes our opinions worth listening to you know both you and i have worked in therapy with lots and lots of people and we've been doing it for a very long time one of the things that happens as a therapist is that in many ways you are actually in a very privileged position because you get to work with a lot of people who are stressed out or unhappy and obviously it's our job to try to do something about that. But you see similar patterns and people doing similar things over and over and over. I don't mean the same person. Well, actually, yes, the same person. But also you see other people doing similar things. And it's almost as though they're following a formula for being stressed or unhappy. And so I think... A lot of what we're talking about here is based on our experience of of seeing what doesn't work. And I think that's one of the things that is really advantageous about doing therapy for a long time. You learn a lot about what doesn't work for people because you see it constantly. And I just thought it was perhaps worth mentioning. Um, So a lot of these questions that have come in have arisen simply because people haven't had that luxury. They haven't had the opportunity to learn what doesn't work from other people. So it was just something I thought was perhaps worth mentioning, Jeff. 
Absolutely. I agree. To me, it's an advantage for me personally as well when I work with other people because it allows me to see those patterns. I know all of us feel at some point that I'm the only person this ever happened to. (laughs) And whenever I've had those thoughts in the past, and it's been a long time, but when I did, and I delved into it a little more deeply, you know, I found out there's a lot of other people having the same problems I am. Yeah. And we all come from the same cult, similar cultures, uh, even cultures I'm finding, say, people from the Middle East versus someone in the U.S., there are differences in cultures, but there's still a lot of similarities because we're all human. We're all dealing with some of the same stuff, maybe under different environments in some ways, but a lot of it's very similar. There is going to be similarity, and that's something that can be, like you said, learned from. We can find out what works, what doesn't work. With all that said, I think we still need each person to look at themselves individually such as if you take one script on a certain way to do a PS Tech positive or any other therapy and think that, well, one size fits everyone, that's never true. That one size fits everyone. If I, you approach it individually and look at it individually, if, if, if you're a therapist or a practitioner working with someone, or if you're just doing your own personal work, you need to look at yourself individually and say, what are the issues that are in the way? And then address them with the proper tools. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Jeff. Okay, so let, let's get started if you're ready. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> the first topic that we have, and we had quite a few of these, um, there are changes currently in the world, and many people feel maybe it'll change things permanently in many ways. And we, we kind of alluded to that, you know, 9-11 in the U.S. 20 years ago changed how we did certain things. This could change how we do certain things as well all of these perceptions and fears. But whether it does or not, there's still uncertainty. Even if we're, uncertainty is something that exists, period. No one is a great prognosticator. I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of people that are paid to predict what the future is going to be like. I really haven't found very many that are that great at it. And uh, it always amazes me how poor people are at it, and yet they're still out there doing it and getting paid. So very interesting. But the bottom line here is there is uncertainty. One of the statements, just to kind of put this out here, is I feel a constant tension in my body and I am irritated all the time. I feel this comes from the uncertainty we all live under. Nobody knows when this virus will stop and what will happen next. So what does somebody do if they start feeling this uh, or if they do feel this anxiety or it could be anger. It could be a lot of things under the uncertainty of what's going to happen next. What do they do, Tim? Yeah, I was going to say, Jeff, um, that anger is uh, quite likely. So I think the most important thing is to identify, is to be specific about it, rather than just, you know, I feel uncertain and all the rest of it. Um, so I think that a good place to start is to identify any specific fears or specific annoyances because if you're specific about it then you can do something about it with something like a click track if you're very very general and it's just like well it's all very uncertain i'm feeling angry but you don't really identify about what or what particular things are triggering that then you've got to approach it in a more general sense so if it were me i'd be looking for the specific fears surrounding that uncertainty any specific annoyances and it might just be one or two things 
Obviously, families are having to spend a lot more time together than they were um, in most places. In some houses, I'm sure it's a bit like a pressure cooker, but there will be specific things that create annoyance. And if you can identify those, then you can click track them. And that's going to make a difference. Now, if you can't identify it, then my advice would be to use the the more general tools, no more anxiety and no more anger. And I think that's the simplest reply that I can give Jeff. Okay. Another kind of statement or question on this was the fear of the unknown going forward, knowing that my life may never be back to how it was. Any kind of different approaches on that? Yeah, I think so. I think the most important thing is to recognize that you've never known what's going to happen. Life is unpredictable. If you believed that the future was predictable, then that was an illusion in itself. So fear of the unknown going forward, knowing life may never be back to how it was, I think the best thing to do is to first recognize that you've never known. And if that hasn't been a particularly big issue for you as you've gone through life, then there's no reason for it to be now. Things change all the time, and you've experienced that as you've gone through life. So in some ways, it isn't any different. Things will change. Things have always changed. But if if it's the future that's causing you problems, then you can run things like PS Tech Positives on the future that you want to be able to look forward to. If the uncertainty is causing somebody a problem, then do something about it. Decide what the future is going to look like. Create a future for yourself in your mind. This is what's going to happen. Yes, it's going to be different, and it almost certainly will be, but it's fine to make the decision that the changes will lead to something better and that this is simply a transition period. So you can run things like PS10 positive statements on the future is going to be much better than the past. Make a list of all the possible benefits that might come out of this and run PS10 positive statements on them. You know, because that's going to drive that way of looking at the future into your subconscious mind and it will respond emotionally in a better way if you paint a rosy picture. Again, you know, on the last discussion that we had, we talked about choices over beliefs. I think very often that's what it comes down to. The way we perceive reality and the the beliefs we choose to have. And it is a choice. If there are beliefs that don't work for you, then you then you can make a choice to do something about it. PS Tech Positive allows you to, you know, to once you've identified what would be a good belief to have, to install it in some way. So that, I think, would be my comment on that, Jeff. I don't know what, what thoughts have you got. Well, you mentioned transition, and I, and I think that's excellent to bring up. In one area that it comes up quite often is when people start to shift their mind model, relationships change. They may have an old relationship with someone, let's say, that doesn't want to let go of their fears, wants to live a life of fear and unhappiness, and someone's moving forward and doesn't want to do that anymore. And they actually shift their mind model. And so the two mind models really clash. They, mm-hmm. they just, they can't coexist because the environments are so different. And so as we do that, we have to realize that relationships change. Some may fall away in that example I just gave where it's not that I disrespect them. I don't 
appreciate or or accept them, but we just don't we just don't work together well. And sometimes this can happen where we have to let go of those relationships. Other times the people that are hanging on to the fear and you move on so you can move beyond fear, they may change too and move with you. But there's that transition period where there's so much uncertainty that you just don't know what's going to happen and you can't control it. And so it can be uncomfortable to say the least. It can be downright painful the, the harder that we hang on to it. So we have to realize in transition, things do change. We talked about that on part one. Change is part of the world, part of the universe. This may be a change in a different way that, Bottom line, it's a change, and we're not certain how it's going to change. But like you said, you can take the change, be flexible, and embrace the change. And we talked about embracing change available in uh, basic mentoring, which is a great tool to utilize to help get your mind around this concept of embracing change rather than fighting it. But that transition period may seem a bit uncomfortable or painful, etc., and again, if you feel uncomfortable about change, you can click track those kind of aspects. The more specific, the better it's going to be, as, as you pointed out. But it's something that we need to consider when we looked at making changes is to make it, and we can make it a lot more smoothly than we may feel that it is when we're trying to resist that change so much. So I think that transition, and just be aware transition can be a bit uncomfortable or painful, but you can't address it so that you can move through it into the next you know, phase, whatever, whatever that may be. Does that make sense? Yeah. We've all been through transitions of countless different types, Jeff. Yep. So, so I think simply recognizing that your life has changed multiple times already and you're still here and you're still okay is a really useful perspective to take. Yeah, going back to what we talked about in part one about the breakdown, right? Someone mentioned their relative was having a mental breakdown. That's, the kind of pain that it can be because we're really hanging on to the old mind model and the harder we, and the, you know, the, the more strength we put into hanging on to the old mind model, that's what creates the pain. The, the extent that you hang on to an old mind model, the more painful it's going to be to usher in a new mind model, or you may prevent it altogether. So the more that you can loosen up your grip, the easier that transition is going to be and the less painful. My biggest question, here's another one is what to it, Attack first. I'm not sure I enjoy that that phraseology, attacking, but you know, a- addressing. <laughs> okay, I feel helpless and fear for the young adults here, my kids, but also for myself and the transformation of our lives as we know it. I also want to do the right thing and be open to the change and see the good. Where do I start? Well, I think that's a really simple one. Yeah. Start anywhere. because wherever you begin is better than not beginning at all. Anything that you do in terms of looking at the things that are troubling you, it will be time well spent. So the things that we've already talked about, click tracks particularly on anything specific, but start anywhere. It doesn't really matter. There is no wrong way to go about it. There is no, well, actually, no. I'm going to correct myself on that. There is no wrong place to start. If it seems like a sensible place for you, then start. But typically, pick, select those things that seem to be troubling you the most first. Because once you clear some of those big ones, you'll start to feel very different. But start any way you like. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I always say, just address what's coming up. What's in front of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's where you start. What if this is our new norm? It's fine for me, but many businesses and people don't have work. How will they feed their family and carry on? I suppose what I would say is if that's something that's bothering you, then I guess firstly, that is an example of an opportunity. Or at least there will be an opportunity if these things happen. It's an opportunity to grow as a person, um, to be charitable, whether it's giving money if everything's all right for you or giving time. If you can't afford to to give money, then give time. Giving to other people is good for all of us. And if, you know, obviously this is not a PS tech related perspective, but doing things for other people is one of them is one of the healthiest things you can do for yourself. And it makes me think of something that I've said to people who've approached me in the past about things such as bulimia nervosa. And I know, you know, Jeff, that I've I specialized in treating that. And I, in fact, for six years, I did nothing else other than correct bulimia nervosa. And I used to say to people, look, just save all the money. Don't bother coming to see me. Instead, get yourself on an airplane, go to Africa or some part of the world where people are experiencing a famine. They've got nothing. They're living in slums. Do something to help them. It will change you. It will change your perceptions so radically, the bulimia will disappear. As far as I'm aware, nobody ever took me up on that. But I still would argue that that is absolutely the case. Doing things for other people has all sorts of benefits. Obviously, it's beneficial for them, but it's beneficial for you in the way you think and feel about yourself. It helps you to be grateful for the things that you've got, which is obviously a very, very healthy thing. There's all sorts of aspects to it. So, you know, it's not a PS Tech related answer that. Um, There's another aspect to the question that was asked, though, and that was about control. You can't control the big picture, but you can at least decide to be the best version of yourself. And I think, again, that's perhaps worth recognizing is that under these circumstances, there are many things which are outside of your control. But that's no different from what's always been the case. There's always been things outside of your control. There's always been suffering. There's always been people dying all over the world for various different reasons. In some ways, this is no different from the way things have always been. You can't control the big picture. But what you can do is Firstly, decide to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And secondly, do whatever it takes to reach a sort of personal peace and acceptance, a happiness under all circumstances. And obviously, we're talking about various different ways to move towards that. Yeah, there's a couple of comments that go on a theme that says, will we ever get back to normal? Uh, maybe the world will never be the same. And again, to me, that's along the lines of, I don't want to change. Mm-hmm. I just want to get, I, I'm comfortable. I don't want to have to change my mind anymore. I, I just want to sit and veg and, you know, just live out my life kind of aspect. And that by all means is a choice. And some people can do that, like financially. Uh, some can't to a certain extent. For me personally, prior to about this last year, I was sitting nice and comfortably for a few years. Could have done it the rest of my life. Hardly had a care. 
and still don't really have a care in those terms, a worry, if you will. It's just not what I do anymore. But I kept getting nudged from within, not a, you got to do something. It wasn't like that. It was like, there's more for you. And I was like, yeah, but I'm fine. (laughs) There's more. It just kept nudging, nudging. And finally, I thought to myself as I did my meditation contemplation, and I thought, there is more to do within my mind, which then will manifest and translate out to the world in some way. So I said, okay, I'm ready. I'll do it. <laughs> and it didn't take a breakdown because it wasn't necessary. Sometimes we need to get that hit that rock bottom before we finally realize I got to start ch- shifting my mind. Sometimes as, as you expand your mind more and more, you're nudged to do more and more. Look at that. Look at those nudges. And, and, and they're not, again, violent or dismissive or threatening or anything like that. They're just nudges telling you that there's other opportunities, there's other possibilities. And it's your choice how you want to respond to that suggestion, how you want to act on those suggestions. But you have the tools here to begin to expand your mind from wherever you are now. It doesn't matter where you are. But to me, like you so eloquently said in the last couple minutes, Tim, That's the purpose here. I can't control the big picture and what's going on, but I can control how I respond. I can control the person I am and the person I express and the things that I do. That I have total control over. And I'm going to maintain that control and keep expanding on it. The last one on this uncertainty aspect, what, what if we're looking at a second, third, or fourth wave of this virus? How would someone approach that? Well, I'll get to that in a moment, but it's probably worth pointing out that in some ways, if I can back up a little bit, Mm -hmm. because some of these questions express a a fairly sort of negative view of the reality that we're in and the future that we're facing. And you have talked about shifting perceptions. So it was just come to me. One of the things that we are currently experiencing is very, very similar to a world war. But unlike other world wars that have happened in the past, this is not a war between nations where nations are attacking each other. For the first time in history, we have the whole world fighting on the same side. Nations are all fighting the same enemy. And that level of unity in fighting a common foe or working towards a common goal. I don't think that's ever existed in all of human history. There may be some very, very good things to come out of that. And it's probably worth mentioning. The second and third wave question, I suppose my thoughts on that would be this, that that's something that some people have definitely imagined. And we've got all sorts of experts and would-be experts expressing opinions but who's to know no one has a clue really what's going to happen now you can again this boils this comes down to a choice you can follow their lead and you can follow whatever they have chosen to imagine in other words you're borrowing from their imagination or you can choose to imagine a different reality a reality where there's not going to be a second or a third or a fourth wave. Again, you can't change the outcomes, but you can choose the future that you personally choose to imagine. And again, it does boil down to a choice. And we talked about the 
the media and the news. I can't understand why anybody would be sitting watching the news at the moment because it is very, very negative and it is relentless. That's what my number one piece of advice is switch off the news. If you must follow it, watch it, whatever, get one or two minutes and that's it. Do something else for the rest of the day. But what you're getting is what other people have imagined for you. I think it's better to assume that things will work out well. And speaking from personal experience, obviously, you know, we mentioned on part one that Karen, my wife, is a triple transplantee. And she's been through all sorts of different things, not just the transplants. You know, she's been terminally ill more than once. Um, she's had pneumonia at the same time as having, you know, sort of organ failure and being on immunosuppression at the time as well. If you were to look at the odds of surviving under those sorts of circumstances, they are on paper microscopically small, but we've always taken the view that everything will be okay. Why? Because firstly, because it, it makes it a darn sight easier to, um, you know, to handle the situation. Secondly, because we know it's a choice. And thirdly, because in terms of the reality that you subsequently experience, I think it helps. So we've always assumed that everything will be okay. And we've been sensible and we've tried to do the right things. But what we could have done under those circumstances is assume the worst, that everything would go badly, that, you know, she would die, that this would happen, that would happen. Where would be the benefit in that? There, there is none. And if we had wasted our time worrying about all of those things, we would have worried unnecessarily. Who's to say whether there'll be a second or a third or a fourth wave? It might, in two months' time, it might mutate and peter out, and that'll be it. Nobody knows, and that's the point. And since nobody knows and you can't change it, there is absolutely no point in worrying about it. So don't borrow from other people and their imagined catastrophic scenarios. There's no benefit in it. It's not a percussive suggestion answer, but if you can identify a future that you really like the look of, or if you want to hold a particular belief, then you can push that into your subconscious mind with the PSTEP positive tools. You know, what view would I have to hold in order to feel okay about this? Well, yeah, I can. It's not hard to come up with a, a much more optimistic viewpoint. Okay, well, I'll go with that. Why not? Nobody knows anyway. Decide what you're gonna what you're gonna go with. What works for you, and then you can you can push that into your subconscious mind with force and power using the PS Tech positive tools. That's one of the reasons they're there. Well, quite often, if I work with someone and we're trying to form a new vision of what their life could be but sometimes they just cannot envision it their mind is so preoccupied with an old version you know an opposite version if you will that they just cannot hold it for more than a and some people can't even get it into their mind if there's a prevailing vision maybe you have a vision that keeps popping in your mind of the second and a third and a fourth wave to use this example imagine that worst happening and the emotion that goes with it. And then click track that vision that's stuck in your mind to loosen up the emotions that are holding it in place. Because what we're doing here is we're not changing any of that. We're just shifting how you would react. Let's say there is a second or a third or a fourth or a worse one. Again, the issue is not will it happen. The issue is how will you respond if it happens? 
because we don't know if it will or not. So if you can begin to click track the, what in your mind is a worst case scenario so that you feel more neutral about it, then you can begin to see steps or thoughts, actions, behaviors that you need to do in order to live through the life that you have in the most joyful and peaceful way. So again, some people will object and say, well, I don't want to imagine the worst. You already are. So now let's take that imagination and disconnect this emotional attachment to it. Does that make sense, Tim? It does. And if somebody is using PS Tech Positive, then it's worth click tracking things first anyway, as we've discussed on numerous occasions in all sorts of different discussions. Because if somebody is very, very emotional about something, then they tend not to be particularly responsive to um, new ways of looking at things or better suggestions. And it's one of the reasons why the click tracks were created in the first place. Because when I'm working with clients, I talk about this thing called black and white thinking, which is am, isn't, can, can't those sorts of things, will, won't, they're, they're apt to, people get sort of stuck in thinking in very absolute ways and they lose a lot of the subtlety when they're very emotional about something. So just dropping those emotions down with the click tracks before you go on the PSD positive or in, you know, deciding to envision, in, invis, envision, I knew I'd get there in the end, uh, envision the best possible outcome is a very sensible thing to do. And yes, I absolutely agree, Jeff. We kind of alluded to some of this going on to this next category, and that's being controlled, being helpless. Let's start with kind of a a more general look at this. How would someone address the loss of control over a situation? Now, well, I'm I'm going to mention some specifics. It, It could be, for example, the lack of control of isolation. In other words, in many areas, you don't have a choice because laws were passed under different edicts that you can't go out or you can only go out for certain aspects. Many places are now passing laws that says you can't go to public places without some kind of face mask. And we're not going to get into the realities of and the, you know, the effectiveness of any of these things. Again, we're not trying to change these, but change how we perceive them. So some people may have to wear a face mask when they normally don't or they don't want to. Another aspect is you can't go out to certain socializing events because they're too large. They can only keep it to a certain minimum. So as somebody said, what about being controlled with, with and overburdening us with too many regulations, too many rules that maybe even go beyond what's necessary? How would someone address these kind of thoughts and fears, and it could be anxiety, could even be a lot of anger that we've kind of talked about a little bit already. But how would people address these kind of aspects of being controlled and helpless? Yeah, well, I think you're right about anger, Jeff. If somebody's feeling that way, I would definitely scrutinize myself in order to see whether I could feel anger about it. Because anger is one of these things that set, that underpins all sorts of other stuff. It's very, very common, uh, as you know, from things that you've you've done working with other people for even things like fears and worries and anxieties to be underpinned by anger. And when you deal with the anger, sometimes those fears and worries just disappear. Yes. If if somebody is feeling angry about it, then, you know, it's probable 
that it's not so much anger at the situation itself, but directed towards certain people, that's most likely going to be politicians. You know, there's nothing wrong with click tracking a politician, um, you know, trying to feel the anger. It may work very well in your favor in as much as it might also help to drop levels of anxiety as well. And I know anybody who's listened to the PS Tech Advanced stuff talks about, will have heard me talk about these pyramids where one emotion is sort of balanced on top of another. Um, So I think you're absolutely right to mention anger. I think it's worth doing, and it's something that we haven't really talked about a great deal. Um, But the other thing is this lack of control, that again is a perception. Um, You've never been in control. None of us ever have. And there's this idea that we, um, we live in countries which are free. Again, none of us have freedom really Uh, if you travel to another country you're required to have all sorts of bits of paperwork and to do this and to do that and to to do things in a certain way and you're required to pay taxes and you know the the idea of freedom itself in modern day living is a complete illusion and anybody who thinks they've been free is simply incorrect about that. So it's not that you're necessarily being controlled and we're being controlled any more than before. It's just that it's different. Uh, That, I think, is worth looking at. The The idea of control, it's useful, perhaps, from a perception point of view, to recognize that you've never had control over your own life, that your choice about how much you pay for fuel even, or where you do the groceries and the things that are available, the, the clothes that you wear, you know, unless you make your own clothes, you're limited by the things that are available. So yes, these restrictions are new and different, but you are already used to being controlled. And I think that that in itself is a useful perception to, to have, because then all you're really looking at is the fact that it's different. It's not the same as it was. And so if you go back to the likes of embracing change that we talked about, that may be useful under those circumstances. Um, But yeah, I think when it comes to control, people typically don't like it and they tend to get angry about it more than anything. (laughs) It's true. I mean, in the U.S., I think people in the U.S. would claim it's a free country. I mean, that's a standard phrase. But it's only free within the rules that are established by others. And the bottom line is the reason why they established the rules is because they got bigger guns. That's the bottom line. Like you mentioned taxes. Well, if it's a truly free country, then I don't have to pay it if I don't want to. But it's not. You can object and you can fight and do all those things till you're blue in the face. But it certainly isn't going to promote any joy and peace. You have to determine what's most important to you. All right. This goes back to, do you want to be right or you want to be happy? Which one? And if you want to be right, then that's fine. Just be prepared to be, you know, have anxiety and anger and whatnot. And that's going to have to go with it if you, if you go down that road. And that's fine. Some people do that and they have that choice. What's important though? Am I here to develop and expand my mind and my character or not? How I respond then becomes most important to me based upon the circumstances that I'm presented with, the big picture that I'm in. Does that mean that I don't necessarily move, like moving to Hawaii versus being on the mainland where it's a little more peaceful? Yeah, I do that. Not necessarily to run away, but I was just led to be here because it helped me in various ways, in so many different ways, to help me in the expansion of my mind, my soul, if you will. But on the anger issue I wanted to mention, 
uh, it reminds me several years ago, I had a chronic back issue. I mean, it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. I could, you know, if I did any work computer wise, I was laying flat on my back with a laptop on my, you know, kind of propped up. I mean, I could not sit for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. It went on for weeks and weeks. Finally, I said, okay, what's going on in my mind to create this? What, what's the truth here? What is going on? And things started coming to my, my mind. And one of them was anger, but very low, like a two, maybe a three, which again, I want to advocate if it's a two or a three and it's not a 10, it's still a problem. It doesn't have to be a 10 to be an issue that causes you problems. A two or a three or a four can be a problem as well. And I think a bigger problem because we tend not to really notice it. We kind of dismiss it. The other comment on anger is quite often we kind of ignore it because we don't want to admit we have it because it's not really sociable, sociably acceptable. And especially in the ladies, you know, to be a lady, quote unquote, under definition and be angry, the two just, and again, these are given definitions, not, it's not truth. There's kind of that cultural aspect that says, well, if you're angry and being all angry and all over the place, you're not a lady. So there's a lot of cultural norms that people in their subconscious are living up to. And so in, in essence, they deny the anger that comes up. So one of the things that came up with me on the back was anger toward doctors in general, not, no one in particular. It was just an anger toward the doctors that says, well, how come you're not able to fix me? And it was that kind of an anger. So I click track the anger on that. And then anger came up towards my father about my back. The reason was, well, he had back problems and now I do. It was his fault. And so I click track the anger on that. Again, very low anger, but there was something there in my mind that blamed other people. As I began to let go of that low level anger and then did some PS Tech positive tour on the back issue, this was before PS belief blasters and negatives, so I didn't have that. It cleared up within a day, day or two maybe, I forget what it was. But within a couple days, boom, gone. Didn't do anything different. So just wanted to give you those examples from, you know, my personal perspectives and experience on some of these issues. If you have anger toward the government, if you have anger toward a medical establishment or a specific person, like Tim says, click track the anger toward these people. Let go of the anger towards these people, the entities. If you can, if you're angry at the virus, imagine the virus, you know, there's all sorts of pictures <laughs> floating around. Give the virus a character if you want. Click track the anger on these these aspects until you can get down to zero one and not have the anger toward them and then begin to shift your perception around all of this. Does that make some sense, Tim? Yeah, it does. And I didn't, um, it's the first time I've heard you talk about your back under those circumstances. I didn't realize that, Jeff. That's interesting. I think I actually did when we did an interview with, um, I did one with Mike Wells years ago. Oh. Uh, oh, but that's ages ago. Oh, yeah, yeah no, that's I'm... another lifetime, man. <laughs> My sip-like memory was kicking in there, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you did. I remember now. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that interview until you just said that, though. I prompted that. That's cool. I'm sure you've worked with people before that said, I just feel helpless. How does someone address helplessness? Well, it's a bit, it's a bit general, that, right. Jeff. <laughs> true, true. So that's the, and, and that's why I say approach, How or maybe I didn't say approach. How do they approach that? What's, what's the first steps to addressing this helplessness? The, my first question would be about what? If somebody says, well, I feel helpless, then I'd be asking under what circumstances, about what? Again, let, let, let's say I'm, I'm helpless because the government is shutting me down. 
Yeah, all oh, right, okay. So I, I was going to say, it's about being specific. If it's, you know, I feel helpless because the government is shutting me down, then again, we go back to the issue of control. But if it's, you know, I'm helpless to do anything about the way I feel or, or whatever, there's all sorts of... De- what I'm basically getting at is there are, we could be talking about very different things, Jeff. If this is a question that's come in, you know, I feel helpless. What do I do about a feeling of helplessness? What I would be asking them is about what? What specifically? Because it's, when you actually get start to get specific about things, then things also get smaller. You know, somebody may have decided that I couldn't ever do that, whatever it might be. And, you know, through questioning, if I, we, you, we say, well, why not? And you start to ask these very specific questions. It may only be there's one or two things it means that they couldn't do that as far as they see it, which means that you can then address those. It, essentially, what I'm saying is it's too big a question for somebody to to approach it. So really what needs to happen is somebody needs to say, okay, this is what I feel helpless about. And then look at those those things specifically. Yes, in exactly the same way, somebody can have a sort of general feeling of anxiety, but the, the best way to approach that would be to find out the very the specific things the most specific things about which they feel anxious and start there. Yeah, I don't know whether that's helpful or not, Jeff. Yeah, it is. I, I think it's it's similar to the question, hey, you know, I panic and I'm and I'm anxious. Okay. We need to find out why. And and delve delve a little deeper and find the reason at the core of who you are, of or who you think you are, of why for some reason you feel that the world is not safe for you to go out to. Also, it comes back to the question of when. When do you feel helpless? Because there's going to be a, you know, we talked earlier on about people having a sort of formula for feeling miserable, following a, this, these patterns that we see as therapists, where people are walking through the door with very, very similar feelings, experiences, you know, there's pattern to it. And if somebody is feeling helpless or anything else, the first question is about what? The second question is, so when? When do you feel helpless? Because it's guaranteed that this is not 24 hours a day, 24-7, that it is part of the time. What were you thinking about when you started to feel helpless? And you can start to get more specific about it. So, and obviously this is the kind of thing that therapists will do, but if somebody's trying to work for them, work on themselves at home on anything in particular, there's, there will be pattern to it. You know, if you start to feel angry about something, then there's going to be a pattern to that. It will be under certain Typically, under certain circumstances, there'll be certain triggers. If somebody feels helpless or scared or whatever, there'll be certain triggers. So just sort of sitting back and carefully thinking, well, hmm, what, when do I feel helpless? It's a, it's a question that's worth asking. Because it kind of reminds me of the movie Sandlot, forever, if anybody's seen that. And if you're locked up and you can get access to it, watch that movie, Sandlot. Anyway. He said, anxiety about this containment that will continue forever. <laughs> so I think this goes along the lines of these absolutes. When people say something like forever, it's always, I know there's an emotional component to this, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's a great place. Imagine being contained forever. All right. Click track that fear. 
until it goes down, the anxiety, the fear, the anger, whatever it is. So you can clear your emotional head, so to speak, and begin to look at it with a different perspective. The other thing I wanted to kind of talk specifically about is, let's say it is a fact. If you go out, you have to wear a mask. Uh, What was another? Or a mandatory vaccinations. Things like that happen. I don't want to get into politicizing this, of course. There's, (laughs) There's enough people doing that out there. That's not what we're trying to do here. If you have a fear that it will happen, something's mandatory, let's use the vaccination one because I think that's a little hef- heftier than, than wearing a mask, okay, Tim? If someone has a fear that they're going to have a mandatory vaccination and lose their choice, be helpless in essence, how would they address mm-hmm. a fear like that? Well, again, because, it's, because it is specific, there are two things that are likely to come in. One that's most likely going to be anger about that, so you click, you would think about it and try to focus on that feeling of anger as you click track it, having a mandatory vaccination, imagine the process itself. There's, there may also be anxiety about it. If there was no anxiety about it, there probably wouldn't be any anger. Um, so I, it, personally, I would do both. Going back to the mask, though, because that's a physical sensation, the, the, the idea of having this thing on your face, and some, some people are simply just not going to like that at all. Again, because it's a specific thing, it can be click-tracked. But the, like I said, the vaccinations, mandatory vaccinations, if it comes to that, I, w- I would click-track both, sort of anxiety and anger, because it's probable it will be both if it's something you do feel bothered about. Yeah, in case someone has the thought or the question, okay, well, let's say I feel anxiety and anger, how do I click-track those two? We don't do them at the same time, right? No, um, yeah, exactly. And it's a really good point, Jeff. Yeah, you could pick either of them. You know, go with one first, run a click track trying to feel the anger, get the anger down as low as it will possibly go, and then do the anxiety. Or do the anxiety and then, if you still feel angry about it, then do the anger. But I think if it were me, I would probably do both anyway, even if, you know, I click track the anxiety and I thought, well, there's not really any anger there. I'd still be tempted to to run it through at least one click track to clear up anything residual. After talking about all this anxiety and whatnot, this other category had quite a few and it talked about staying calm when the world and others are not. So like one question read, I'd like you to address staying calm when those around you aren't. How do you consistently be calm, be the calm influence in an atmosphere of aggressive tension and fear? It's interesting they mentioned aggressive aggressive tension. So there are some people, let's say if someone's out and about and they're not wearing a mask, they'll, you know, kind of shame them. And I've heard people actually say this, let's shame that person so they don't do this anymore. How does someone be that being of calmness, of peace, with all this stuff swirling around like this? Well, again, I think this comes back to some of the things that we've already touched on, which is that you can't necessarily change other people. You can't necessarily do anything that's going to make people around you feel less angry or calmer. All you can really do is the best that you can do. In some ways, I think the question has a sort of, um, it's not a flaw built in, um, because that would be the wrong way of putting it. The assumption that you can do anything to change the people around you is is probably not a correct one. Hmm. But what you can do, definitely, is change your rea- your own reaction to it. 
if you are at peace, relaxed, calm, then what the other people around you are doing is less likely to bother you. But also, you know, it tends to tends to rub off. I mean, if you get two, let's let's take the opposite example. If you get two very, very angry people and put them in the same room together, there's likely going to be fireworks. If one of those people is persistently calm and the other person is angry, they very quickly learn that the anger doesn't get them very far because nothing changes. It becomes sort of frustrating to do something and discover that it doesn't really affect somebody else. So all you can really do is is work on yourself, take the decision to be as calm and as peaceful and as at peace as you can. And, you know, if other people are not, then there's probably nothing you can do about it. I think a great specific way to maybe look at this is around this question, this atmosphere of aggressive tension, people are calm around me is just, you're obviously, that's how you're seeing the world as people are running around crazily, sometimes aggressive. Just take that imagined event that you're having in your mind. If you're feeling fearful or anxious or angry, you know, whatever the emotion is coming up, click track it until you can see the craziness going around and not be triggered. You're not getting anxious with them. That's one specific way to deal with this. Another aspect along this that we started touching on, but I wanted to be specific on this question is how can the technique help me not absorb the anxiety of those I love who I'm with that are extremely anxious? And I want to give you an example of somebody specifically that said, for me personally, I have an issue with negative news coverage. Now we've talked about negative news and whatnot, right? And other people in my community. So I stopped watching TV many years ago, but if my boyfriend who works for a local newspaper, he always has coronavirus stats and he feels noteworthy for me to hear about these statistics. I had to ask him five times to not discuss it with me, anything related to Corona. I didn't want to hear about it because it makes me feel distressed and I, and and therefore can lower my immune system. By the way, I live with rheumatoid arthritis and I don't take medications. I prefer to heal myself naturally. So a couple points I wanted to make. Number one, sometimes we can avoid, you can turn off the TV. If there's nothing of value, turn it off. That's different than I'm turning off the TV because it scares me. Does that make sense, Tim? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. That's the first point that I kind of wanted to just address here. Look at what your motivation is for avoiding something. Are you avoiding it or are you just moving it in another direction? In other words, am I turning off the TV because I'm afraid of it or am I turning it off so that I can go do something productive? Completely different. It looks like the same action, but it's not. And that's what's important here. What is your motivation? Are you coming from fear or are you coming from an expanding mind that's expressing the best version of yourself, of perfection, if you will, that you can? Not being perfect, but just your best effort. In this example... She wants to avoid it because it'll affect her immune system and she wants to heal naturally. I want to make the comment that healing myself naturally includes healing my mind where I'm not bothered by these things. What's your take on this, Tim, in terms of people being affected by other people's anxiety? How can they address this kind of issue where they're always being, uh, you know, someone gets angry and I get angry. They get anxious, I get anxious. They get sad, I get sad, you know. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. How, how does somebody address those kind of issues? As far as this particular person asking this question goes, you know, they've said that they've got an issue with negative news coverage and so forth. They stopped watching TV years ago. That's a really good example of actually having control, of taking control. So that this idea that things are out of our control, again, it's a bit of an illusion because there are definitely things that you do control and can control. This person, again, has asked their, has asked their boyfriend, I think you mentioned it was, to, to stop talking about all of the stats and so forth. And he said that they'd asked them five times. Again, marvellous. I think they're doing exactly the right thing. Ask them a sixth time. If that's, what, if that's what it takes, um, sooner or later, they're going to get the message. In some ways, rather than answer the question, I, I, I would like to applaud this person for already doing some of the things that I think are really, really sensible. They know that there's no point in, uh, in constantly bomb- being bombarded by all of this information because it doesn't make them feel good. And um, they've decided to do something about it. Um, now, I, I, obviously, I went off at a bit of a tangent there, and I, I can't remember exactly what you asked me, Jeff. Well, it, there are people that I can avoid people and therefore avoid being affected by people and what they think and how they act, right? That's one way. That's managing the situation. That's one way to do it, I guess. Absolutely. But can you control the environment completely to that situation where you never come across someone that reacts with anxiety, with anger, etc.? I mean, the answer is no. Yeah, the answer is no. You can't avoid this. Okay, if I'm really bothered by people that are anxious and or angry or any other emotion, it just, I, you know, as some people say, I absorb their energy, I absorb their emotions and feelings uh, when they feel it i feel and i feel awful is this something someone should address and how would they yeah um well definitely and again i think this comes down i think it mostly boils down to beliefs and expectations because the emotions that people feel under these sorts of circumstances are a consequence of those and the way that we are modeling reality speaking for myself i i know i feel very calm about it we're doing, we're doing our best to do the right things. And that certainly our circumstances, I would say, are far from ideal. I'm not expecting to leave this house for months, probably, because, you know, my wife's high risk. Um, I'm expecting things to work out well, not just personally, but I think there will be all sorts of good things that come out of this. And yes, we may go through a little bit of an uncomfortable transition period. And for some families, obviously, there's, there, there are deaths and so forth. And there's some awful things going on. What I'm holding in mind, and it's, to be honest, it's not really deliberate. It may be, you know, just, just through practice and having had to deal with all sorts of other things in the past, is this expectation that everything is going to be absolutely fine. Because I've got that expectation, then I'm not living with with high levels of stress or anxiety or anger you know it, stuff is happening and uh, to to be honest even though our world has shrunk because we you know we're we are confined to to one property i don't feel anxious about it so i i think it really comes back to what we've talked about which is you cannot change the situation but what you can do is look at yourself 
and take a decision. What, what do I, what would I need to believe in order for this not to bother or concern me or to make me angry or to trigger me or to make me feel helpless? What, what beliefs are going to work? And those are the things that I'm expecting. I'm expecting all sorts of good things to come out of this. And I could give some examples even. I think that's the best place somebody can start because the emotional side of it is a consequence of the beliefs that people have and the expectations that they've got. If other people around you talking about these things triggers you, then it means that you haven't really got those expectations and those beliefs as solid as you would really like to have them. A good example of that, I suppose, which is completely unrelated, is that if somebody calls you names and it upsets you, then it's it's upsetting you because at some level you think then that, that the insult they've given you might be right. But if somebody called you a, I don't know, a six-legged Martian or something like that, then it probably wouldn't upset you because instantly, automatically, you know it's nonsense, it's wrong. Whatever's being said does trigger somebody. Um, wherever wherever it's coming from, then there's more work to do on the beliefs and the expectations. Okay, well, what if it's something, though, that's, that is true? So let me give you an example. Here's a couple from for today. I have this unease and irritation that people, when I notice, they treat me differently when I walk into a grocery store. I experienced this going to a bank recently where I was angry that they wanted to force me to use the ATM. Another example, having to adjust to people who are scared to death I might be carrying COVID-19 and how they respond and they stay far away from me. Let's say somebody was diagnosed with the virus and people find out a similar situation from history would be lepers, right? If they found out you had leprosy, well, HIV and AIDS, you know, a couple, what, 20, 30 years ago when it first came about, people were, they'd find out they have HIV and they treated them like a leper in essence. It it was a fact the person had the virus. It wasn't the fact that it was communicable in that way, but people treated them that way and shunned them for that. Uh, you, You could say the same thing about someone hating someone because of the color of their skin or their religion. How does someone deal with that kind of treatment from other people where it's actually hurting them? It, you know, it either makes them angry that they're being treated that way, makes them feel isolated, helpless, you know, shunned, sad. How would someone address those kind of issues? I think, again, this, com- this comes down to patterns. If those kinds of things have happened, then I would click track the specific things that have happened where you've been left feeling that way because of the actions of other people. Because we react in a in a, a somewhat predictable way, there is pattern to the way that we, we react to things. So if you deal with some of the things that have happened and you click track those, trying to feel the feeling that it created within you, whether it's upset or anger or whatever, or anxiety, then it might happen again. You could click track all three of those or just pick, whichever seems the most appropriate. Dealing with some of the things that have happened will create a protection against you feeling the same way if something similar happens in the future. Because your subconscious mind will recognize there is pattern here. If I can feel okay about that and I can feel okay about that, and I don't need to worry about that, then why should I react badly to this? That would be my approach on that one. You know, it reminds me of when I, when or if I react to how other people feel about me, 
it's because they're challenging who and what I think I am. And like you said or alluded to, if I'm not strong in my conviction of who and what I am, that's when I get angry because they're challenging it. But if they make a judgment about me and I'm strong in, in terms of who and what I believe I am, I just shrug and I don't care. I don't care what they think. This goes along with the recent hypnotic one that was added to basic mentoring, which is others do not define who and what I am. The stronger I am in that core belief that I am the only one that defines who and what I am, how other people think about me is inconsequential. I don't care. Now, if they have good feedback on something that's helpful to me, I'm free to take that in and make those changes if need be. And if it's just superfluous, it's meaningless, it's useless, it's just a their opinion and nothing else, I can easily just shed it off. It doesn't matter to me. I discard it. So this is an opportunity like we've been talking about today and in the last part. These are opportunities. If these things are bothering you, any of these kind of aspects, this is the opportunity that's exposing it to you. Be thankful that you're finding out these things are bothering you because what's it's exposing are the chinks in, in the armor, so to speak, but maybe armor isn't a good one, good analogy, but it's where you have the holes in your belief of who and what you are. When you have more of those voids where you haven't really solidified and you really are firm in who and what you are, but maintaining your flexibility, you're going to be bothered more. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Again, to go off a bit of an, a, tan a, a bit of a tangent, you know, you talked about opportunity. It's again, in terms of beliefs, perception, useful ones, this is the most amazing opportunity for many people that they will ever get in their lives. If you are confined at home and you can't go anywhere and you know you're going to be there for weeks, you've got time to do things that you've probably never had time to do before. You know, whether it be working on yourself with percussive suggestion or, or in any other way, or to immerse yourself in a hobby or to learn something new. If you're learning a language, to get on the internet and talk to people in other countries and practice it to who are also likely to be feeling very much the same and going through similar things. There is an incredible opportunity here. You know, if you, you may have a novel that you've always wanted to write, well, maybe now you've got time to write it. It is about perception. And yes, it is not the same as it was four or five weeks ago, whatever. But there are all sorts of opportunities. It could be that this is the best opportunity you're ever going to have to really get to know your children or other members of the family. It could be the best chance you'll ever get in years to, you know, study something, work on something, get into the shed and build something you've always wanted to build. Even school children who are off school because they're homeschooling. Maybe this is the best opportunity you're going to get to study something without other people distracting you, interrupting you, doing all sorts of things that would otherwise bother you. It is in some ways an incredible opportunity and it's to identify things that, you know, maybe you would never have noticed before. There are lots and lots, lots and lots of benefits in having change and things not being the same as they were before, but you won't spot them unless you actually take the time to look for them. But of course, if you can find these good things, 
then that's going to make you feel more in control, less uneasy, less unhappy, less angry, less fearful, less frustrated, all of the rest of it. No, I appreciate that because, you know, in my personal life, well, on the three major things that people talk about, you know, health, wealth, and um, relationship, I've gone through large transformations throughout my life, not all at once, yeah, pretty much, but, you know, the transitions like we talked about are rough. They can be rough. It was time to make those changes. And sometimes I had to hit bottom. I've done that. Other times it was just, I recognized it was time to make some changes and I started expanding. So this is an opportunity. Like you said, connecting with people in this day and age, there's nothing to stop us from doing that. So which brings me to our last little subject here, and that's missing family and friends. If someone's missing someone, how do they address that? From a practical perspective, I think that the best thing you can do is talk to them, whether it be, in, you know, if you can't do it in person, then talk to them on the phone. Talk to them on Skype or Zoom or whatever else, whatever else is available. You know, this may bring a whole new meaning to the world, to the, to the phrase online dating, mightn't it? You know, why not have a date online? <laughs> well, he, that's funny you mentioned that, Beth and I, when we first met. She was in Hawaii. We met in California. I was in California. Due to work and stuff, you know, I'd come once in a while, but we were apart sometimes two, three, four months at a time. Mm -hmm. so we used to do an online date. Now, this was several years ago, so not quite as easy as it is today. We, we started on Skype when Skype had maybe, see, a few thousand people online. They used to have a little number there. We'd get the same movie. And we put it in the machine and we'd be on Skype. So watching each other and we'd go ready, set, go, you know, and we'd press the movie and watch the movie separately together. So we'd have date night like that. You can be creative. Absolutely. I agree with that. And we did some, we did other things online, played games online where you could, you know, play together and stuff like that. But sometimes some people still feel that longing like I, oh, and, and let me, let me give you this a little longer question or statement. She said, thank you for creating and making such powerful recordings. They've been essential for me in all my life, in, in my life. I feel with all that's happening around us at the moment that I'm losing touch with the people I'm used to seeing and hearing from. There have been such a quick shift to do our routines differently that most people are just trying to keep up with daily life. You could say I have expectations, we talked about that, right, of how certain friends and families should behave when I talk to them or see them, quote unquote. I'm so used to hugging a few people. It's strange to not have that physical connection. So many of my close friends especially seem so angry, frustrated, and sad. I know I have some beliefs around this that I need to address, which I am working through. I'm just wondering, is there a particular click track or tool that I can run to? I want to maintain a strong connection with my higher self, you know, my spirit my friends, my family, no matter the circumstances. Thanks for your time. Stay safe. Stay healthy. So two aspects. Number one, how does someone address this? You know, the, the physical connection, you know, getting a hug, that kind of thing. And they have a longing for that. Before I uh, have a stab at that one, Jeff, I'm just going to mention one thing that somebody told me that uh, is a good friend of mine who lives in Scotland. And he said that the because the pubs have been closed, he and his wife used to do pub night with friends. So they're having virtual pub night and they're doing it over the internet. And they all break out the cans and they do exactly what they would have done at the pub. So there are ways around these things. But 
I think there are a couple of things that are really, really important here. The first is perhaps something that I encourage people to do when I when I work on certain things, encourage people to give themselves a hug and to say, I'd love me, which, you know, some people are very, very reluctant to do at first. And sometimes I have to persuade them and work with them and cajole them. But, you know, ordinarily, I manage to get them there. And once they once they are there, then they start to feel really, really good doing that. So it doesn't necessarily have to come from somebody else. It can come from yourself. It's absolutely fine to do that. This is um, something that I know from experience because I've asked, I've asked people about this uh, sometimes years later, whether they're still doing it. And you know, many people persist because they discover that actually it is quite a powerful and important thing to do. And I suggest it to people really because sort of sometimes it's something they've never really experienced from other people. And sometimes I suggest it because if somebody is saying, I love me and giving themselves a hug, then they don't feel the need to go out and get that external validation quite so much as they did before. Practical thing, that's something you can do. And yes, it might seem a bit strange at first, but as with most things, you get used to it pretty quickly. The second thing that I would suggest is a possibility is to run a statement through PS Tech Positive to the effect, and you can use any of the PS Tech Positive, so it might be the the um, the one in PS Tech Level One, or it could be Extra Power, or it could be Quantum Turbo, to the effect this person or your family or whatever are always with you. And I know I've done that with several people for various different reasons in the past. And I know it makes a difference. I've done it with people when they've had bereavements and they're feeling very, very separated from somebody who's, who's been there for a long time. So typically what I would have them do is click track the feelings of loss or unhappiness. And, you know, for some people, this will feel much like what much like that this separation not being with people that you are used to being with um, on a regular basis. So the click track, that feeling, but then to follow up with a peer state positive statement to the effect that that person or your family or the people you care about are always with you. When you think about it, it's true. You know, that they are, you carry them around in your head. They're, they're a part of you and nobody can take that away. The fact that they are physically not in the same space does not mean that they are not with you. The chances are that, that, you know, if you've got a close relationship with somebody, that they're spending a lot of time thinking about you. So you're not alone. You're just not in the same space at the same time. And when you're alone, it does not automatically equal loneliness, right? No, absolutely it doesn't. That'll wrap up part two. Appreciate you all for listening. And part three will come up very soon where we're going to address some of the things moving forward, so to speak that are probably on people's minds just as much. And that's losing work, job, finances. You know, how do I deal with all of these changes going along, going on along with some other, you know, miscellaneous comments on how to move forward. So we'll talk about that in part three. Appreciate you all for listening. Take good care. Keep clicking.